Welcome to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Christians buy a lot of books, but they're not all great. Today, the Spin team takes a look at the Christian bestsellers list and talks about the importance of reading quality books. At the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how to download a free MP3 from the Alliance. Well, it's a new year, and one of the things we like to do is recommend uh, books to our faithful listeners. Always plenty of great stuff to read out there. Now, I was looking at one that I think Amy and uh, Carl might be uh, particularly interested in. It's As I was looking at the Christian bestseller list online, I saw this one particular book called The Circle Maker, Praying Circles Around Your Biggest Dreams and Greatest Fears by Mark Batterson. Do you ever sense that there's far more to prayer and to God's vision for your life than you're experiencing? Then it's time you learned from the legend of Honey, the circle maker, a man bold enough to draw a circle in the sand and not budge from it, uh, from inside it until God answered his prayers for his people. What impossibly big dream is God calling you to draw a circle, a prayer circle around? So, I mean, that hooks me right off the bat. And I can already envision all kinds of products to go along with that, like the Circle Maker pen um, or a Circle Maker stick to actually like circle in the sand. I mean, there's all kinds of things we could do. A Circle Maker uh, prayer shawl, a Circle Maker um, shofar, uh, maybe something like that. The Belinda Carlisle song, Circle in the Sand. Nice. Remember that one? Nice. Good 80s or early 90s reference. Could come there. along right with the book, yeah. Man, mm-hmm. that would be nice. I guess where we go from <laughs> here is, Amy, why do so many Christian yeah. women read garbage? Well, Todd... There's a new catchphrase I've been hearing, and that is um, a courageous conversation. And I think it's time for us to have a courageous conversation about um, the crap that is being marketed (laughs) to the church again. Is this going to get us in trouble? What it's it's filling our minds with. Uh, Because I'm really finding that it's um, bad Christian, well, they're not really Christian, but bad marketed as Christian books Mm -hmm. are really causing a lot of division in uh, women's ministries, in the churches. Um, Women that I'm talking to are having serious problems with um, wanting to weed out bad books, people in the ministry wanting to do a book study on, um, you know, a book that's full of mysticism or that directly challenges the sufficiency of Scripture and um, are angry when they, they are challenged about it. Right, right. Well, I was looking online at a Christian bestseller list for the months of November and December. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, again, there was the Circle Maker along with all of its uh, various additions that go along with it. Of course, Jesus Calling is still up there. Um, there's a book called Whispers of Hope by Beth Moore. There's a book called Becoming Myself, Embracing God's Dream of You. Uh, there's a book called, uh, well, there's, there's some Joyce Meyer, there's Joel Osteen in there. There's a handful of Christian romance novels that looked very, very, uh, intriguing. Um, 
Yeah, I think what but nothing see... good. Nothing good, of course. I mean, what we see here is is really the Christian marketing aping the wider consumer culture in which we we operate. I mean, a, a book about mm-hmm. becoming yourself. I mean, the title is self-evidently garbage. You are right. yourself from the moment you're born <laughs> till the moment you die. <laughs> right. Uh, I've told people this before. I remember going to Morocco in 1987 to find myself, <laughs> only to find that I was there all along between find the soles of my feet well. and the right. top of my head. Yeah, right. I was I was there. But yeah. a book with that sort of title is clearly <laughs> pitched to the, the self-oriented uh consumer culture in which we right. live right. and of course if consumerism teaches us anything it teaches us that the the uh, the trashier the cheaper the the higher you can pile them the easier it is to 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 ship them out right um it's it's another example a bit like christian rock music of christianity <laughs> aping the worst aspects of the of the wider culture yeah. And one of the things, and, and you alluded to this, Carl, one of the things about so many of these books is can you imagine any of them selling outside of a very comfortable, prosperous setting where the biggest problems Christians have to deal with is how can I find myself? Uh, There's simply uh, a reflection of an indulgent uh, culture. So, so listen to this. There's a, there's a book on the bestseller list called The Best Yes. And here's some of the blurb from the book. Cure the disease to please with a biblical understanding of the command to love. Escape the guilt of disappointing others by learning the secret of the small no. Overcome the agony of hard choices by embracing a wisdom-based decision-making process. Rise above the rush of endless demands and discover your best yes today. So can you imagine marketing that to Christians in the majority world where it's actually difficult to follow Jesus. So imagine marketing that to Christians in Nigeria who are being slaughtered by Muslims and saying, listen, the, the, the secret here for you is to rise above the rush of endless demands. Uh, it's, it's ludicrous to even imagine it. Yeah, it's a self-help kind of manual that only works very well in a, in a society that is, as you put it, very comfortable and not having to face the deepest and most profound questions of existence on a daily basis. Right. You know, if you're waking up in the morning thinking you might die that day, your right. question is going to be very, very different. Right. If you're right. waking up in the morning and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills or you don't know uh, where your next meal is coming from, the kind of questions you ask are going to be very, very different. Indeed. It's full of the psychological language that our world uses right now. And yeah. I mean, what is a soft yes? Or was it a yeah. soft no? Yeah, <laughs> you, have to, yes. you, you have to learn uh, the secret of the, of, of the Come soft on. no. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so Amy and Carl, the question becomes, even though there's plenty of men who read this junk, clearly so much of it is marketed towards women in the church. Yes, and clearly it's, it's been successful. Uh-huh. Why I, I believe is that? that part of the success is, well, I think there's two things. I mean... Obviously, they're using sentimentality and um, emotional stories to pull women in. And then uh, back, you know, the bad doctrine just gets snuck mm-hmm. in through the back door. Right. And the, so it's the emotions that are authoritative here. Right. And um, we were talking before we got um, online about this, just about how 
this, the complementarian doctrines that we're learning and embracing in the church, which, you know, there's so much benefit to, um, somehow the, the pendulum may have swung a little too far where women are not seeing the importance of learning good doctrine. And we're really losing the um, art of discernment and the ability to separate truth from lies, I think. Or we just don't think it's important when we're reading something that's entertaining. I don't know. And I, and I think we see this in the, the, the patriarchy movement where clearly the line is, listen, you know, let the little ladies, if they've got questions uh, about doctrine, let them ask their husband. Um, but, but, you know, you really just need to make sure that, uh, that the cookies are hot. Yeah, although I'm I'm not sure that it's exclusive to the patriarchy movement. I think in the in the the complementarian movement one finds this as well. I've been interested yeah. in over the last couple of years when I I'm preaching or speaking away and I'll be in a in somebody's house. I always like to look at the bookshelves. You can tell a lot yeah. about a person by looking at the bookshelves. And quite often it seems to me that in some of the most what I describe as as orthodox complementarian mm-hmm. houses. I find that the the women's literature, for want of a better word, is of this sentimental drivel variety. You know, you'll you'll see your Anne Voskamp, for example, slotted onto the shelf there. Now, I'm sitting next to a shelf full of Marxist theory here. Somebody walks into my room and looks at this thing and says, well, is Truman some kind of way out communist? Well, no, that happens to have been uh, an interest of mine from a historian's perspective. So I'm aware that people own books for different reasons, not necessarily because they're committed to them or because they're, they're passionately interested in, in, in the specific philosophy being advocated. But it does strike me as interesting that in a world where there are very, very careful lines drawn between the role, roles of men and women, it seems that theology as a task is becoming an increasingly male preserve, and that's a problem. And even in some of the, the, the better literature that's being written by women in the, in the sort of the reform movement, mm-hmm. a lot of it's preoccupied with sort of, you know, theology for dare I say it, name is coming, but theology for housewives, <laughs> where the emphasis is upon the housewifing, not the theology. Mm-hmm. If I could put it that way, I think Amy is an, is a definite exception to what I'm trying to say here. But it, well, it's, no, I think what you're saying is is that it's going towards women's issues and uh, women's roles more than just as a whole person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I think also lack of discernment, poor discernment is is no respecter of persons. We see it across the board in Absolutely. evangelicalism, yes. from conservatives to liberals and everything in between. And, uh, you know, one, one of the books that's on the bestseller list, of course, is Max Licato's latest. He's a perennial uh, figure on the bestseller list. And it, apparently it's about the Lord's Prayer. It's called Before Amen. And one of the things in the blurb for it is, you know, when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he didn't give them a doctrine of prayer. Well, that's just a false choice. Uh, the, the Lord's Prayer happens to be freighted uh, with doctrine. But again, in order to appeal to people, in general evangelicalism, it's almost like the book has to go out of its way to marginalize doctrine. Right. You know, as if to say, hey, this you're going to like this book. It has nothing to do with doctrine. Yeah. Well, I think it's this idea then also that doctrine divides. And Which so, it does. Yep. Yeah. And, but it also gives us true unity and not a superficial unity. Without a doubt. Without and, so I, and I think that um, a lot of times we downplay that, and um, especially with women, because we don't want to appear to be divisive. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, we think that if, if we disagree on something, then that that's a bad thing. But I think that that can be a really um, sharpening thing, a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you hit a really important point there because oftentimes what's happening in broader evangelicalism is that churches kind of coalesce or they, they unite around a series of purposes rather than a confession of faith. Mm-hmm. So what again, what happens is doctrine is marginalized, activity the things I do is what becomes central to us being a church. Right. And so, so, and there's no doubt you can gather some unity for a for a while around some common core values, quote unquote, or some purposes. But what is oftentimes um, uh, actively avoided is unity around a comprehensive and weighty confession of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Paul is very clear at the end of uh, Romans when he talks mm-hmm. about uh, the, these men who are divisive because they have parted right. from the faith. They parted from, from correct teaching. Uh, we tend to think of orthodoxy as something that, that divides, whereas in the New Testament, orthodoxy is part and parcel of what unites the church and right. gives her her unity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and in Second Timothy, um, we see Paul... Um, asking Timothy to look out for the false teachers teaching bad doctrine and that they are targeting weak women. And so yeah. I think that pastors need to be more proactive in, um, you know, what Todd's doing here, looking at the bestseller list, seeing what um, their congregation is reading and, and teaching them how to discern. Because, you know, bad doctrine is a lie. And as soon yeah. as you start believing a lie, you start living a lie. Yeah. And, and, and it hurts people. It hurts so people it is because practical. it's a lie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and pastors need to be ready that if they get up and say, hey, look, um, Jesus calling, for instance, is really problematic. They need to be ready to get slammed on that yeah. uh, because a lot of people have invested some real emotional energy in some of these books. But then that, I think, points to a positive pastoral strategy in that I, I don't think it's enough to say these books are bad. I agree. think what you need to do is to say, but these books are good. And, and one of the things I think, for example, if Jesus Calling comes up, somebody came up to you and said, but I really find Jesus Calling helpful. My approach would be, well, why do you find it helpful? Well, it's, it's a daily devotional. It's, it's, it's yeah. written in a way that's accessible. To then say to that person, well, those are good things. You, 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 you're latching onto good things that, that mm-hmm. in that book, but you can get them a whole lot better over here. Yeah. Yeah. And, what, I, what, I, what I tell, <clears throat> what I've told a lot of people in our church, I've, I've we, we, we make sure it's reflected in our, in our little book area is, look, if you're looking for a good daily devotional, that's a great thing. I still make use of some good daily devotional yeah, books. Yeah. Just, just go to Amazon or WTS books, plug in the name Nancy Guthrie and get one of those. Mm. Yeah, and, and yeah. you'll get solid instruction from the Bible. Yeah. Absolutely. Avoid, avoid Amy Bird, though. <laughs> Amy Bird, there's all kinds of deception <laughs> creeping in there. There's a problem. So, well, one of my reviews does say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the one Todd wrote, I think. <laughs> hey, well, it's been great having you all joining us for uh, Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, where we've once again put the world to rights and hopefully given you some positive uh, strategies. Um, as I say, uh, the, the key thing is, is making sure that you read good literature, that you fill your head with, with good things. Um, we haven't quite solved the reason why women seem in particularly vulnerable to, uh, to reading nonsense, which leads me really to my final question for Amy, which I'll pass on to her as we leave. And that is, Amy, why can't a woman 
be more like a man. Oh, God. Everyone do what the others do. Can't a woman learn to use a head? Why do they do everything their mothers do? Why don't they grow up? Well, like their father instead. Why can't a woman take after a man? Men are so pleasant, so easy to please. Whenever you're with them, you're always at ease. Would you be slighted if I didn't speak for hours? Of course not. To be livid if I had a drink or two? Nonsense. Would you be wounded if I never sent you flowers? Never. Well, why can't a woman be like you? Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Make sure to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to download Understanding God's Will, a sermon from Derek Thomas. And tune in next week to hear the team continue their discussion with Dr. Kent Hughes, answering questions from diehard fanboys. Okay, so this one is for the Mortification of Spin team. Now that you have your own exclusive web platform, having reached the pinnacle of celebrity evangelicalism, <laughs> what is the view like from the top? <laughs> Will you sign my Bible? I'm a big fan. <laughs> Hear more next week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to download your free MP3. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there has been a worldwide shortage of Afghans lately just because <laughs> women are not in their place. I remember a day when we had Never Afghans on every sofa. We had Afghans on every sofa. We had Afghans <laughs> on every chair. And now you can't even find one anymore. Thanks oh, a lot, ladies. A beautiful yeah. place now without your first, you refer to them as chicks and they take offense. I mean, <laughs> exactly. uh, I mean, where am I supposed to go to the find a fuzzy blanket impossible. that has like purple and brown and yellow all together? <laughs> because nobody's making Afghans anymore. Oh my only, Thanks, feminists. <laughs> the only women making decent quilts are the Amish. And I think there's a lesson there. There's a lesson there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So.